So page 885, Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 to 50. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and continually in the temple, blessing God. Wouldn't it have been amazing to be there in that room in Luke 24, 36, to behold Jesus like that? Risen Jesus, who three days ago was laid in the tomb. Imagine hearing those words there from Jesus in verse 36. Peace to you. But understandably, uh, since this is you know like impossible in their minds, uh, the disciples were scared. Uh, Jesus asks them why. He showed them that he was real flesh and blood, uh, risen from the grave. He was really there. See my hands and my feet, he says. Touch me and see. Come, it, it is me. And while they still could not believe for joy, verse 41, uh, he took a piece of fish and ate it. Uh, see? I'm real and I'm really here. It must have taken a good long while, though, for that uh, to sink in, for, for any of this help from Jesus here to, to help that truth sink in. Uh, Forty days he was with them, uh, Luke tells us later, uh, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. Forty days Jesus was with them uh, doing this. And still, verse 52 of our text uh, here at the end, they were just caught up in joy, praising God for all this. We love that resurrection truth of Jesus and we are right to love that truth. And his resurrection, of course, is what is now in store for you and I. For all who trust in Jesus and and follow him, we will follow him there too. Uh, But love it as we must, uh, we sometimes disconnect that truth of the new resurrection to come from, from the other truths out of which it came. Uh, Jesus actually takes his disciples back to understand more holistically, so to speak, these things. In verse 44, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. By the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, Jesus is talking about the Hebrew scriptures, uh, what we in our English Bibles call the Old Testament scriptures. The Jews arranged their books more thematically than we do and they grouped their books uh, into those three main sections, law, prophets and writings is the full name. Psalms is a, a, a nickname, a shorthand for that here by Jesus. So, so what Jesus is saying there in verse 44 is uh, that in all three divisions of the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, things had long ago been written about him and those things had to be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That is to say, they had long ago had those old scriptures, but they had not understood what they meant without understanding how they had always been pointing to the things that were now being fulfilled in Jesus. And what things does Jesus mean? We might be very careful to ask here. Jesus tells us what he has in mind here uh, in verse 45. He opened opened their minds to understand the scriptures and, and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and that on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. He says, there's what had to be fulfilled through Jesus, promised all those centuries beforehand in scripture. Christ had to die and Christ had to rise from the dead. Christianity 101, isn't it? Those two things. Christ had to die and Christ had to rise from the dead. But there too is the outcome of that, according to Jesus. The implication for those of us who have now received those truths and made sense of scripture with those truths, the next thing that logically must follow now is that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all and sundry. And yet somehow I feel... That part of all this handed down from Jesus here has somehow today become Christianity 102, might we say. Or in some church circles, perhaps uh, Christianity 502 or something, we might have to say. Or or even in some places, that part there is is dismissed today as, as simply being the old mistaken way of putting all this together that should no longer be taught at all. These are hideous and intolerable words to many ears, repentance forgiveness, sin. They ought not to be uttered in the church at all, some people would probably say. The easiest way to do away with those words from Jesus there, that the very call he gives here for his church to proclaim is is just to simply skip over them. It's easy enough to do. And so with a simple slide of hand, I suppose, we we could read that same paragraph and and only pick up, say, on verse 49 of, of the promise of, of power from on high. Boy, that would be good to preach on. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. But the reason Jesus asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit, which is what he's talking about there, is specifically here to empower his disciples who witnessed, verse 48, 
of his death and resurrection, verse 46, to, to now go and deliver the vital gospel call that flows out of that in verse 47, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name now to all nations. Uh, Jesus promises the Spirit. It's a glorious truth. And we started thinking through that for ourselves last week. But, but he promises the Spirit specifically in and around this very gospel truth, that, that, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed and granted to people to receive in Jesus' name. This is why Jesus came and died. And the Spirit empowers that gospel ministry, both in terms of the giving of it and the receiving of it. He, he has people speak these words. He allows people to be convicted by them and receive this forgiveness. So why have these fundamental gospel words that Jesus commissioned his church to proclaim to the ends of the earth, repentance and forgiveness of sin, why are they so out of place in today's church? when they are the very words that he gave us to say. Sin is a forbidden word, isn't it? Today, as much as ever, it's a forbidden word, and therefore, if you think about it, repentance has to be forbidden too, because that word takes us straight back to sin. And so the flow on then is that even forgiveness, when we do speak of that, and we are more comfortable with that word, but when we do speak of forgiveness now, it is shallower than what the Bible means by that word because we have disconnected it from the harder words here of sin and repentance. We increasingly speak of forgiveness as if it just means acceptance, that God loves us and receives us just as we are which has some beautiful truth in it. I mean, it picks up on the, on the grace and the love and the kindness of God towards us who are sinners. But, but to simply speak of, of acceptance ignores the other part of Jesus' gospel truth, that he calls us to repent because we are sinners who must turn from our sin if we are to come into true, joyful relationship with a holy God. Our gospel call does not say, take me as I am, God, and leave me that way. It says, I am a sinner. I repent of my sin. Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me in the name of the Lord Jesus. Ugly stuff, uncomfortable stuff, and so very unpopular words. But these are the words that Jesus gave us to say. In our Life and Doctrine segment last week, we were thinking in the Nicene Creed, we were thinking through the resurrection and ascension of Jesus as we thought through that part of the Creed. And I dropped into the middle of Peter's sermon in Acts 2 last week uh, where uh, he recounts those things that we've just read of again today in Luke 24 here, that Jesus died and rose again. I thought today I might drop back into uh, Acts 2 in the middle of Peter's sermon. If you want to turn there, it's on, it's on Acts, Acts chapter 2, is on page... Um, 910, yes, 910 of our Bibles here today. The first recorded example of Jesus' apostles preaching 
proclaiming that very hard call from Jesus that we were just staring at today in Luke 24 and verse 46 and 47. Acts, of course, follows on from the Gospel of Luke. Acts is Luke part two. Uh, And uh, to catch you up, uh, Jesus repeats his commission that we just read in Acts chapter one. Uh, The Holy Spirit does come to empower his disciples in Acts chapter two with the giving of tongues. Uh, That part, at least, is familiar as scripture in most churches today. But note that the power they were given was so they could then speak about Luke 24, verse 46 and 47. Let me pick it up in Acts chapter 2 and verse 29. Uh, it's, um, this is what Peter was empowered by the Spirit to say. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, whom Peter has been quoting up to this point, uh, if you remember last week, uh, that David both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. It was Luke 24 and verse 46. Christ died and rose again, is what David had been writing about in that old, old psalm. Uh, the apostles were witnesses of that, Peter says, as per what Jesus just said in Luke 24 and verse 48. But notice the implication of all that as Peter goes on uh, in these words in verse 37. Now, now when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was what Jesus just said his church must proclaim in our text today, Luke 24 and 47. Sin, repentance. Forgiveness for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. There is no getting around Luke 24 and 47, no matter who you think you are. Everyone whom the Lord God calls, he calls through these three words. Uh, the narrative goes on in Acts 2 there. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptised and there were added that day about 3,000 souls and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching about what, would you say? To the fellowship centred around what, do you think? To the breaking of bread that symbolised what? Exactly. And the prayers about what? I would dare to say, at the very least, 
about Luke 24 and 46 and 47 that we're sitting here looking at today, that Christ died for our sins and that on the third day he was raised and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations in his name. It's very clear, actually, in Scripture, if you want to keep reading through Acts later on, or any of the letters to the church that follow, the counsel of God in his word is relentless on these truths of repentance unto forgiveness from our sin in Jesus' name. So again, the Christian gospel does not merely have us say, take me as I am, God. It says and has us say, I am a sinner, God. I repent. Have mercy on me, God, in the name of Jesus. Forgive me my sin. And yet these basic gospel matters are not so clearly heard in the church. And the reason for that is is very, very simple, if you boil it down. We, We do not like to hear of such things. We don't want to be convicted and and challenged to to change our way. Uh, We want to be accepted and and endorsed. Take me as I am, we defiantly say. But we operate too simplistically and, and unbiblically, we have to say, when we think in terms of only ever wanting to be validated, only ever wanting to be uplifted by the church or, or by the word or, or indeed by God, the primary call of the gospel is that we be cut to the heart like those people in Acts chapter 2. But the wonderful thing of the gospel is right there alongside that truth. It is only by being cut to the heart like so that we can then be lifted up high by the mercy of this God. And so the church must be diligent to emphasise what Jesus has given us here to say in Luke 26, uh, 24 and uh, 46 and 47. And of course, all the way through the Gospels. We've seen that in our series over the last couple of years through Matthew, where the same call as this was given by the Lord Jesus at the very start of his ministry, and then all the way through it rings that we are sinners and must repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he came to secure our forgiveness for our sin, not to endorse us in that sin. And so too, as I say, his apostles keep proclaiming this all the way through scripture and through the letters that follow. For this is the very essence of how we can be restored unto God. The times of ignorance God has overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That's Paul explaining this in Acts chapter 17. And actually, though, it's Jesus, isn't it? That's Jesus here in Luke 24, 46 and 47. Jesus' message becomes the message of his church. And that message is hard. Let's let's be honest about it. That message is hard for anyone to hear and it doesn't always make for successful church, uh, if you're thinking numbers at least. And churches do like to think numbers, I'd say. Much easier to build by numbers uh, by not saying such hard truths as these. But, But what do numbers mean if they're not coming together around the very gospel that Jesus calls us to? 
So the church ought to think very carefully about these words. What is it at the heart of our basic gospel call, if not this, that Jesus here has given us to say? So too, of course, every professing believer should think very carefully about these words. What is it at the core of my heart, if not this call here from Jesus? Have I surrendered and, uh, and let go of things uh, and come under what Jesus says that I need to hear? Or am I drifting along under some other kind of idea? The believer and the church are connected, of course, on these things. If believers all flock to where these ugly gospel words are neglected and, and covered over, then, then they encourage the growth of churches that are out of step with uh, Christ's very purpose that he sets out here, that we should all be brought to a place of repentance for our sin so as to receive this beautiful forgiveness in his name. On the other hand, if we leave church when we're confronted by these difficult words of sin and repentance, so too we're walking away from Christ's purpose in our lives, that we should be forgiven and changed by these truths that he gave his life for. Maybe we could put that like this. If I don't like a certain church because that church keeps pressing in on, on things like sin and repentance and forgiveness, then the problem may not be with that church. The problem may be with me. And yet the church cannot forego this basic imperative from Jesus here to lead people into these hard words, to lay down some other foundation for people who may be more popular but, but not faithful to Jesus' call. At the end of the day, change is needed. Change is needed for sinners like you and I to come into the presence of God. Change is needed. Otherwise, Jesus would simply say here in Luke 24, 47, go and proclaim the forgiveness of sin. But the gospel is not simply that Jesus died for our sins. It also comes with this fundamental call that we turn from our sin. This is what repentance means, a turning from sin, a changing in our minds and hearts of how we understand this matter of sin. And if we truly do want forgiveness, then we also must want to be changed. You see, the whole idea of repentance and forgiveness is actually geared around change. And maybe... That is the word deep down that causes all the offence in our minds. Change. That we are not right in and of ourselves and, and need to be changed. We must hear these hard words from Jesus and both of these hard words today, repentance and forgiveness, that Jesus told us to proclaim. And when we hear them, they're going to push us into one of two places. <laughs> Denial or, or surrender to Jesus. We either double down and dig in and, and defend our sin as, as not being sin, in denial of God's words. We, we'll stake out our grand, ground and we'll harden all the more in our sin if we hear these words. Or we're going to be broken by these words. Our hearts will be softened up and broken down by these words and convicted of our sin will come to him in repentance and coming to him in repentance we will come into this forgiveness of which he here speaks for which he died so as to give 
we will be saved by these words here. But the change is going to keep going after that as the Spirit then leads us into a process of change in our lives. Some Christians get sick of hearing these words, these hard words here after a while in their journey. Some Christians think that now saved, they have no more sin in their lives anymore and so no need, therefore, of this repentance idea. Some think that sin was, was only true of their old self. Anything untoward now in their lives is down to the world or the devil acting against them in their journey. But the gospel Jesus gave us is, is not just mere deliverance from external evil, it's repentance of the sin within. It would be nice if we could leave these two hard words in our past as of when we first came to Jesus, but actually the scriptures are going to keep speaking as you read through of an ongoing wrestle that we all must have now with sin. As the spirit of truth convicts us and shows us our sin, he renews us more and more at the heart of which process are these two words, repentance and forgiveness, as he shows us our sin. This surely is, is part of why Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper. Surely this is part of why Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. These are patterns of worship for the rest of our lives under God. And central to them is this Luke twenty four forty seven idea from Jesus on repentance and forgiveness of sins. Martin Luther, I reckon, said it really well. When the Lord Jesus called us to repentance, he called us to a lifelong posture of repentance. I'll almost make a point of forgetting, uh, not bothering to remember even, the other 98 theses that Martin nailed to that church door. That first truth would have been enough to start the Reformation that day. And it should still be enough to keep reforming us today. We are called to a lifelong posture of repentance as the Spirit brings about his change. We cannot forget and move on, therefore, from these two hard words Jesus gives to us in this scripture today. Uh, nor can we take only one of these words and ignore the other. They have to go together. That's how it works. Without these two words, repentance and forgiveness, there is no truth of, of sin or judgment or, or wrath or atonement. All the things we've been thinking through in the series so far make necessary for us these two hard words today. Uh, nor is there any other way into the other words that we hope to go on to in the next few weeks to come, but that God calls us to repent and receive sweet forgiveness in Jesus' name. So think very carefully on these two words. Don't ignore what Jesus has insisted must be proclaimed, what we must all hear. This is his gospel, after all, that we sit here under today. Surely he knows what he wanted to say. Let's turn then to meet God over these hard things as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us, as always. And these difficult words today, they are difficult words today from Jesus in this fundamental gospel call. Father, we pray, therefore, that you'd be with us and that you would soften our hearts to receive these more and more every day. They are hard words. They convict us of our sin. They convict us of our need and remind us of our need to be saved. But draw us faithfully under Jesus' words here, Father. Have us know our sin 
and grant us repentance, please, in Jesus' name, so that we receive the forgiveness in his name. I thank you that you gave your son, Jesus, that he did die for our sin in accordance with the scriptures, and he did that so that we may receive this beautiful forgiveness through faith in him. Father, we need your spirit to work these truths into us, to convict us, to draw us into repentance, to, to keep us in that penitent state. For only then, Father, with your spirit, will we understand the rest of your sweet gospel. So please bring these difficult, hard truths clearly into our hearts and lives, each one and, and all of us together as your church today. In Jesus' name and for the glory of his gospel, we pray. Amen.